It's a mean world out there. And it's a mean rage. Let's change the culture. Let's change the way we think about this world. Let's have a hell of a time doing it. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, a home for comedy, a home for some politics, and a daydream of a world that doesn't suck. I'm Brian McWilliams. Welcome to this mad world. Wake up, buttercups. It's time for Mean Age Daydream. Welcome to uh, the show. Welcome to what is, obviously, the greatest, funniest, most interesting show about comedy, culture, politics, and uh, libertarian philosophy that has ever existed. I am Brian McWilliams, and I am going to wow you. No, no, I probably am not. I'm actually, man, your boy is tired today. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I am uh, I am beat. I slept awfully the past couple of nights. I have, uh, I don't know, my bicep. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, my arm! Like an old man having a heart attack. Ah! So anyway, sucks ass, but here's the show. It must go on and I'm here for you. Anyway, um, before we get kicked in to the show proper, talking about Andor and the writer of that, right? Same guy who did Rogue One, taking on quote unquote Trumpian politics in the Star Wars universe. Before we get into discussion about the 87,000 IRS latch dogs, lap, uh, not lap dogs, attack dogs. I'll tell you, tired. We're going to be like a lot of flubs this show. Attack dogs that have been brought on by this new Democratic. Uh, first, it was called the inflation fighting bill, and then it, it turned into a, a climate bill. Uh, you know, whatever. Before we get into any of that, I want to tell you about IP Vanish. Yes, IP Vanish, the number one VPN to protect you from trackers, stalkers, uh, hackers across the internet. Now, IP Vanish, of course, has been around for quite some time. They've got thousands of reviews on Trustpilot. This is a service where basically, with a click of a button, you can protect yourself across all of your different devices, right? Your laptop, your phone, your Roku, your uh, your computer, your kids' doodle bopper, whatever they make for kids to watch innocent television shows. You don't want them getting tracked. So with this button, bingo, you're protected across all your platforms and at a very reasonable rate. IP Vanish has a special deal with us where you can get 70% off of a year-long subscription by going to ipvanish.com forward slash lions. Promo code LIONS, and you can get basically for $3.20 a month, thereabouts, protection for you to stop. Like I said, protecting against ad trackers, uh, protecting against your, your IP information being shared, basically protecting where you're physically at as well, because if they don't know your IP, they don't know what country you're in, they don't know where you're at. It is a service that I do not go online without. Again, guys, ipvanish.com forward slash LIONS, promo code LIONS, get that 70% off and protect yourself across the internet. Now, Getting back to it. So, a lot of topics I want to talk about today. I'm trying to think where I want to start first. Because I also watched the movie Prey over the weekend, which is a sequel to Predator. It, of course, follows up uh, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger classic all the way through to the latest iterations. You know, the one with, uh, what's his say, Adrian Brody. I actually like that one. And through and through. The latest one, however, is I'll start here. The latest one, however, I watched with Rico, who, of course, you've heard on this very podcast network, our legal counsel and uh, a fellow line of liberty who is in town. I'm watching with him, right? After uh, a long weekend of beer pong excellence. And the film's basic concept is that back in the, I guess, you know, 1800s, 
right? Just as the, uh, you know, you still had Indian tribes very prevalent all over the North American continent. You had white fur traders coming in that were killing off the buffalo. Of course, the movie makes a point of that. But the predator comes back, comes down from his alien homeworld and now is hunting here. And he doesn't know that the, uh, you know, who to go after first. He's hunting dogs, he's hunting cattle, whatever. But really, it comes down to the Predator versus the Comanche tribe. Now, I don't want to give away too many spoilers in this movie in case you do want to watch it. But I will say the protagonist of the film is a teenage Comanche girl. Now, they made a lot of uh, hoopla about this film also being dubbed in full Comanche. In case you want that, I don't know. Fine. I, it's a, a PR gimmick for sure, but whatever. If you want to watch in Comanche, maybe that's interesting. I don't know what a, a full Comanche dialogue sounds like. Maybe I'll go back and watch it. I doubt it. Because what happens in this movie, number one, it is obviously pushing the woke trope of woman gets, you know, woman up against the patriarchal world. And even though we, this is the Native Americans, right, who we've been you know, told to believe of love of their nature and of, uh, of, you know, using everything and they respect the land and they respect each other and all this, you know, basically a, uh, I don't know what you call it, a Native American washing of history, where in many Native American tribes, very brutal, uh, very warlike. And yes, as evidence this movie, it was a very strict delineation between hunters and gatherers. You know, the women stayed home, the men went out and hunted. Whether or not you think that there is a very good reason for that, based in biology, based in the ability to uh, to utilize strength and skill sets versus, you know, whatever it might be, child rearing skills, I'll leave that up to you. But this movie makes it a point that this gal wants to hunt. And of course, they don't want her to hunt. They want her to stay home and uh, take care of things and, you know, go and forage and help cook and all that other stuff. But she don't want to do it. And that's basically the big plot, right? What It's the most tired cliche chick heroine plot that's ever existed. And somehow they're they're trotting it out as though it's something fresh and new. And, and honestly, it's very tiresome. The movie is tiresome. The alien, okay, or the predator, I should say, he's all right. The design's okay. He doesn't have that fancy weapons. You know, he's got basically a fancier super techno bow and arrow uh, because I guess you got to have bows on bows, bows on bows crime here. And the ridiculous stuff really comes into play. Not only with, obviously, they've got the, the French fur traders coming in and, you know, bad white man over here, fine. No, I'm not saying that didn't happen historically. They were there. They were hunting. They had better arms. They they did uh, you know skin trade. That's what that was. What happened? That was history. But naturally, it's kind of a nod to the uh, the bad white man is the infiltrator. But the fact that this gal, this teenage gal, you know, they build her up. She's hunting in the woods. She's got this axe that somehow gets amazing aim by tying a rope to. She becomes the one person that can defeat this predator. It makes no sense. It really, I mean, more than most films, especially sci-fi films, more than most films pushes you to just shake your head because it's such an absurdity of believability that this hyper-technologically advanced super-being predator is now, which is no problem killing everything and anything. It literally kills off, you know, multitudes of people at once in mixed combat. But, but this teenage girl figures out how she could kill is just, you know, head-shakingly dumb. And the thing that I can't help taking away is that it was just more than anything boring. 
I mean, it was just a boring, boring film with these long, emphasized shots of the beautiful nature these Indian tribes lived in and her walking across the fields with her dog. I mean, just unbelievably slow and boring. I understand setting the stage in a film, but goddamn pacing matters. The film to me, I think it was a little under two hours. It felt like a two and a half hour movie. And of that, you didn't really get any character development past what I said was the cliche um, you know, man versus woman in a hunter society type of deal. You didn't really get much out of the predator that was new or interesting. You didn't really get much out of the script that was new or interesting. It was a slog. But yet, what you see, as I'll call the uh, fresh or the Rotten Tomatoes fallacy, I knew this movie was going to suck. Now, I went into it, right, a completely, completely ignorant of this. But once I started hearing the rumblings of how good this movie was, I thought to myself, okay, this is probably going to suck balls. And as of right now, or as of last looking, Rotten Tomatoes had the reviews on this at 93% positive. Now recall, this is a movie that is a sequel to a sequel to a sequel to a sequel. I guess this is a prequel now, right? It's got to be the, the eighth Predator movie made. Other than maybe the first one, None of these films have been critically reviewed as uh, some sort of cinematic feat. Not only that, right? Again, sequel, sequel, sequel. The Predator, this is a sci-fi film. It's a, it's a quote-unquote action film, although I would say that there's, you know, it's mostly boring. It's an action sci-fi sequel to a much renowned and much maligned franchise. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. What does that tell you guys? What does that tell you that these critics who normally would turn up their nose at such fare that is below them, right? Uh, below their film degrees, below their fanciful tastes in all things, caviar, uh, Coke in the butthole, sniffingly delightful you know, cinematic fare. What does it tell you? Well, what's different here is that it's woke as shit and these people are not reviewing the film for what its merits are as an action or sci-fi or whatever. They're, they're giving it positive reviews because it had a Comanche, a.k.a. a diversity class, right, that is put at the forefront of the story. It's got a female heroine, a young female heroine, overcoming the odds and fighting the patriarchy and thus 97 or 93% Rotten Tomatoes approval. This is the kiss of death. You know a movie is not good definitively by the genre and look at it. It's the Jordan Peele theorem, right? I mean, Jordan Peele, I guess Get Out was okay. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was anything that was really mind-blowing in any way, shape, or form. 100% Rotten Tomatoes, right? Uh, his next one, I can't remember what the name of it was. Again, super well-reviewed. Oh, my God, fantastic. These are not amazing films. I'm sorry, they're not. But the reviews, these reviewers try to push their agenda and you can tell just what a film is by looking at it. It's like the, the opposite of the Dave Chappelle where his specials get zeros, uh, critically reviewed zeros, but yet the audience reviews are 100%. So anyway, I figured I'd start there and then I'll talk a little bit about, and again, I have not seen a single snippet of this, but Andor, this new Disney uh, Star Wars thing that's coming out. Now, Rogue One, right? The writer of Andor, whose name is not uh, Tony Gilroy. Rogue One was actually a great piece of cinema. I think it's probably the best Star Wars film that's been made in the past, I don't know, 40 years, right? Since the original three, it, it's the best one that's been made. Now, that being said, I didn't really consider it to be a political statement in any way against Trump or Republican politics. 
I took nothing of that sort away from it. It was a nice little origin story, a nice little backstory about the people that were able to get the blueprints of the Death Star over to the Rebel Alliance. Great, fantastic, whatever. But this time, I guess the, uh, and again, this isn't coming straight from his mouth, but actors and actresses on the show have said that Gilroy has written a, quote, scurrilous great take on the Trumpian world and that events in the series reflect what's happening in the world today. Quote, Tony has written a great scurrilous take on the Trumpian world. Our world is exploding right in different places right now. People's rights are disappearing, and Andor reflects that. In the show, the Empire is taking over, and it feels like the same thing is happening in reality, too. <laughs> now, number one, if this is true, if Disney is going to push out a show specifically to take on Trumpian politics in an overt fashion, I'll tell you right now, it's going to fail. Half the country doesn't have a problem with Donald Trump, doesn't have a problem with his policies, and probably views him right now, especially considering that he just got raided by the Department of Justice over uh, what we're reading is uh, boxes of unreturned documents the National Archives wanted. They're looking at Trump and saying, this guy is being absolutely persecuted. Even now, years after he left office, he's being persecuted, right? He didn't get a fair shake of his in there. Maybe he wasn't perfect, but what was done to him was wrong. And they view the absolute Trump dementia syndrome, you know, or, or what is it called? Uh, Trump, yeah, Trump dementia. They view this and the way in which the entertainment community, the way in which the mainstream media community has gone after him nonstop, has twisted the way in which they, the people who supported Trump, or at least didn't hate him, didn't uh, despise him in some twisted fashion, they view all of this as a sickness that simply cannot be tolerated anymore. They're over it. They're beyond it. And to see a new Disney series come out using this beloved franchise of Star Wars, which has already gotten too fucking woke. If you saw some of the shit in Han Solo or some of the recent shit come out, it's already been pushed too woke to the point where people are already tuning out. This is a potentially franchise-destroying move. If you specifically, like, again, do what you want, Disney. But just from a pure content creation standpoint, you're going to ostracize half the country, right? And guess what? People that were Trump voters, they probably enjoyed Star Wars, at least the original iterations, more, just as much as the left, right? Everybody thinks they're the freedom fighters. Everybody thinks the evil empire is the one that's got the boot on their neck. And guess what, guys? That's a very subjective empire. To the left, as evidenced by this actress's quote, she views like rights and liberties being pulled away. She's probably talking specifically about abortion, which, as I said on this show before, was never a constitutional right. It was created out of whole cloth by the Supreme Justice at the time, and now it's been taken back and returned to the states, right? Okay, so you still have that right some places, you don't other places, but to say that the Trumpian worldview has been a rights uh, ripping away, a, a some sort of attack on the civil liberties of people, I, I just don't get it other than one thing, which has happened two years after the man was in office. Uh, what else are we talking about? I, I literally can't think of anything. I, in the meantime, you've got the progressives talking about, again, raising taxes, COVID lockdowns, mandating vaccines. Not that Trump is innocent in the creation of the vaccines or innocent in the initial lockdowns, but Democrats took it to a new, whole new level. I mean, Democratic governors refused to cede any authority. They, they, they shut down, they're trying to shut down people's businesses, they're trying to shut down people's ability to, to function with climate change. I'll get into that later, but point being, the boot on your neck is absolutely subjective. And for these people to tell 
in this story, the world, that the boot only exists on the neck of the poor liberals, the poor progressives, most of whom are vastly better off economically, most of whom are living in these big cities and these protected bubbles or have the welfare environment supporting them. That's a pretty twisted take. And you're going to turn off, mm, I don't even know, 200 million people. <laughs> Let's say half the country plus. Because the other people that are independents are sick of being talked down to, are sick of being politicized in their content. Polls have come out saying that people do not want politicized content anymore. There's a reason Maverick was the number one film that's, I think, it might even be ever now at this point. There's a very specific reason for that. And I'm on, you guys know I'm a screenwriter. I'm on these emails of people looking for projects. There are people actively saying, I want Maverick-style projects. That's what I want. I mean, Matt Tiabi, uh, the former Rolling Stone writer, just wrote a whole big article on Maverick because he just saw it. He said, look, this is what people want. And yet Disney, foolishly shooting themselves in the foot, is hopping down this path. There goes Peter Cottontail pissing off half of America and destroying the credibility and watchability of a beloved franchise that they spent billions of dollars to acquire. I mean, it is mind-bogglingly stupid. Speaking of mind-bogglingly stupid, as I mentioned, Trump, a man who's been persecuted beyond what any rational person would think is reasonable, has been out of office two years. Now, there's rumblings of him running again. I said, and I'm on record saying, I think this is a dumb idea. I don't think that they should run him. I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, I think that it's the only thing that could unify Democrats and possibly independents against Donald Trump and, and to support a Joe Biden or a Kamala Harris or whoever the Democrats are going to trot up there after this absolutely failed Biden administration. But <coughs> the Department of Justice got a warrant with the FBI from some judge in, in Florida, they've done some research into his background. Of course, he was an Obama donor, whatever. Maybe the guy is legitimately just looked at the evidence presented and said, yep, go raid Trump. But right now, what we're hearing is that Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence was raided, right? Broken in, filled with cops, broken to his safe, forced it open, found nothing inside, but raided his residence because they were looking for, and again, this is not confirmed yet, but reportedly for 15 boxes of documents that he took with him when he left the Oval Office. These were requested by the National Archives. I guess either he didn't return them in time or he doesn't have them. I don't know. But the point being, if that is true, it is beyond a doubt a political maneuver. It is more evidence of the persecution of the kangaroo court nature of what's going on, especially in regards to January 6th and basically anything else that you can think of about Donald Trump. Now, this is an unbelievably stupid move on the part of the FBI and the Department of Justice. The FBI is already viewed as a politically biased organization. We saw everything coming out of the Russiagate investigations. Two years of people, including the heads of the FBI, telling us that they had ample documents, that this was definitely coming to a head, right? The head of the Intelligence Committee telling us they have all the evidence on Trump that he colluded with Russia. And then a big, fat nothing. A big, fat, wet turd fell on the sidewalk, proving that all of the warrants they got, let's not forget, they had hundreds of FISA warrants, right, on to, to surveil Carter Page. We saw the evidence of the thousands of FISA warrants that had been approved, basically rubber stamped through that the FBI requested based on bad or no data, basically. These, these you know, these secret federal courts that just said, yeah, sure. 
It's a scandal that the mainstream media ignored because they didn't like Donald Trump. But it still exists, and it's still a scandal. And of course, we can't forget all the uh, the non-investigations into Hunter Biden at the time, the intelligence institutions like the CIA and the FBI telling us that this was clearly Russian disinformation, this laptop, right? The FBI not going after him when they had evidence that he had possessed a gun and threw it. You know, like, it goes on and on and on and on. And yet they decide that it's a great idea to make a spectacle of raiding Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Now, like I said, if they had something legitimate on him, and maybe they do, I guess we'll see what it is. I can't think of what that might possibly be that they wouldn't have already found, but let's see what it is. If they don't, if this is what it looks like, then they have lost any and all credibility. From now until I don't even until the entire agency is replaced until and again you know you already have the GOP threatening that they're going to do investigations into um, oh god I'm blanking on his name the Supreme Court uh, he was nominated for the Supreme Court justice and now he's heading up the uh, Department of Justice I can't think of his name Merrick Garland they're already saying look when we take over in November and I think they will clear your calendar keep your documents because we're coming after you because it does look like blatant politicization of the FBI and from the Department of Justice and from the justice system. And you think back, like people are defending this on Twitter. I had a little tete-a-tete with, uh, or tete-a-tete with uh, somebody just now because somebody running for Senate was like, oh, you people dismissing this raid as politicized. This just doesn't happen. They had to get a federal judge to approve a warrant. Okay. And then again, this other gal said, oh, okay, well, this doesn't happen willy-nilly. Again, I refer you to the FISA courts and the thousands of search warrants that they issued in secret that we now know, basically, they just, just whatever was put in front of them, stamped it, good to go. We've got evidence of this clown show. We've got evidence of this, this kangaroo court that exists to give these warrants. And I'm sorry, even beyond that, this is one guy, one judge who they put shit in front of. I'm sorry, one man can decide if to give a warrant to, to investigate the previous president. Fine. I guess that's the way the system's set up. But is that supposed to be de facto proof that this was a good idea, that this this warrant, which we know how many warrants are, are given on utter horseshit for the entire population, let alone the most persecuted, uh, absolutely like in the media, uh, blindside, I'm not blindside, let's say, uh, painted as the black sheep of the presidency in the investigation, the organizations, in the institutions that are supposed to be uh, the up and up to backing of the federal agencies that have gone out of their way to undermine him, right? All through Russiagate. We're supposed to believe that these agencies are on the up and up and that this one man who looked at the evidence and decided to approve this warrant. Well, he's the end-all, be-all. We have to trust him. Obviously, the system works. How can you even suggest that this is politicized? Like, I'm I'm pissed I even have to talk about this because I don't want to talk about Trump. When you see something like this, you have to because it's so fucking absurd. And if it is, in fact, based upon him taking documents out of the Oval Office, which I'm sure he must be the first ever, right? The first ever. Never mind. How about Hillary Clinton? destroying her fucking emails, destroying laptops, hitting Blackberries with hammers, physically provable to destroy servers that had information on him and emails on him. No charges, no worries, no problems. But a president takes documents and some boxes out of the Oval Office. Time to raid his home. The first time this has ever happened. Well, I guess Nixon, right? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's, it pisses me off to even have to talk about it. It's just fucking unbelievable.
And I believe that they're going to lose all credibility. So in that regard, it's a great thing. The less credibility the FBI has, the less credibility the CIA has, the less credibility the Department of Justice has, the more we all benefit. The more we can get out of the justice system we have, the more we can cede that authority and get rid of that monopoly and maybe segue into the private court system we'd like to see or the, the voluntarily finding people to arbitrate your decisions, to have different options rather than just having this government entity which can create warrants, create basically create crimes out of thin air, which is what I believe most of these crimes are. We know for a fact the FBI creates crimes out of thin air and entraps people constantly. Just aggravating. All right. Next topic. Oh, real quickie. Let's get back to entertainment for a second, and then we'll move on to this inflation reduction bill and the 87,000 attack dogs that they are going to be hiring. So I couldn't help but laugh. I talked about how Zelensky was uh, vaguely grotesque. Again, you guys go and listen to the special Mean Age Daydream. I think, I think I'm going to try, like I said, I'm going to do a monthly, or I'm sorry, not monthly, I'm going to do a weekly, maybe every Thursday, release it on Friday, uh, Mean Age Daydream. Probably to live stream that from now on. I just got to set a time. But if you go to the solo feed, you can hear all that good stuff. Mean Age Daydream, it'll pop right up. Go there, subscribe. You'll get the bonus content that I do there, the extra shows. But I talked about Zelensky how they did this Vogue cover shoot and how ridiculous it was. Now, Jessica Chastain, who notably, uh, I don't know, is redhead. That's <laughs> about all I can think about. I can't think of a single movie she's been in. She looks familiar. I don't know. Seems to be decently hot. She's a name people know. She traveled over to the Ukraine and took a nice photo with Zelensky. Of course, you know, looking her fabulous best, Zelensky, who looks well-fed and well-rested and obviously has uh, buku dollars. It's, it's very easy to sleep well when your bed is so stuffed with American taxpayer dollars, guys. It's, there's no princess in the pea thing going on there. It's uh, just a real feathery experience. But Chastain goes over there takes a picture with Zelensky and, of course, posts it. Because, you know, the entertainment complex obviously stands with Ukraine despite their many, many shortcomings, the corruption, the jailing of political opponents, and the fact that this war going on is probably vastly to the detriment of the Ukrainian people uh, and to the benefit of the elites like Zelensky and his cronies that exist alongside him that are siphoning off, you know, 70% of the money and the weapons being sent over there to sell elsewhere. And that, of course, came from a CBS News documentary about weapons in the Ukraine and about the support U.S. is giving to Ukraine that talked to people on the ground. And that was what they had, uh, that was what they had presumed. That was what they, I guess they had seen that about 30 percent of what was being sent over from us actually got to the places it was destined to be. The rest was siphoned off, sold to the Russians, sold to you know, whatever other groups exist out there, kept for one's private uh, institutions and benefit, et cetera. That documentary, by the way was just taken off of CBS because the Ukrainian government asked them to. Because that's what's important, guys. Remember, if you're going to make a documentary about corruption in a, in a foreign nation, and that foreign nation that is corrupt asks you to take it down, what are you supposed to do? What can you do? I mean, it's not like it's your job to share news, unfiltered news with people. If a government that's corrupt has, uh, has a favor to ask, who are you to say no? Unbelievable. But Chastain poses with Zelensky to show her unabashed support. And I couldn't help thinking that the only way you could describe this, this beautiful photo of the two of them standing in the presidential palace, is a portrait of a useful idiot. 
Is there any better way to describe it? This this stupid ass actress that knows Jack from shit goes over there to make a propaganda photo for all of her idiot fans that also clearly know nothing. What more useful idiot can you have? I mean, Zelensky's entire regime right now is propped up by useful idiots. Useful idiots on the left who put Ukrainian flags in their Twitter profiles. Useful idiots on the right who want to build the the, uh, warfare state out. And of course, useful idiots in the White Office or the White House who want to prop up Ukraine because we must stick it to Russia. Even though you know that they know that all of this aid is doing nothing but ravaging that country, prolonging a war that is absolutely unwinnable and enriching the oligarchs of that country. I mean, it's it's a useful idiot fest. Maybe that's like, you know, they had that big party on like a Bermuda Island or something. God, what was it called? It was like the biggest, you know, they did two different documentaries on it, which shockingly were not pulled down when that Caribbean nation and its corruption asked them to pull these documentaries down. But like some dude put together the biggest festival for influencers on this island. That's what fucking Ukraine is now. That's what it is. It's this fanciful island where the parties are great and all the influencers can flock there to take their stupid ass pictures. And when you pull off the curtain, there's nothing there but poverty and people eating cheese sandwiches off of the sand and death and destruction and no money for anybody because the infrastructure has been destroyed. Good job, guys. Good job. (laughs) It's the new Burning Man. I look forward to going next year. We'll set a giant fucking wooden dude on fire. Uh, If you want to set things on fire, you guys can join the Lions of Liberty Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Get in. We've got some different levels there, guys. You get in on the cheap. You can get in on more expensive. Influence the show. Produce your own shows. uh, Or even get some call-outs and shout-outs on the show. i got to start doing some of those, actually. i got to check in with my boy, see what he wants to do. But patreon.com forward slash lines of liberty of course you also get the good morning fuckhead daily rants you also get the uh, the new do nothing man uh, which is coming out any day now you also get uh, the forthcoming round tables Odie and i will be doing and some conspiracy corner actions i gotta schedule one of those in too so a lot of good stuff more content than you're gonna get on a daily basis than any other podcast out there uh or support us on locals lines of liberty.locals.com okay so Shifting off of Jessica Chastain, let's talk about this bill. So in the middle of all of this inflation, the Democrats have put forth a new bill called the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, of course, like virtually all bills designed to curb inflation or to spur on the economy or to spur on job creation, it typically does nothing in regards to that, it typically is full of other horseshit that is shoehorned into the bill, pork barrel politics, as they say, special projects and, uh, and hobby projects. And that is what this is. Democrats are celebrating it as Jeffrey uh, Tucker, very cleverly quipped, watching the Democrats celebrate. Of course, my wife just came home. I did not know she was going to be doing that. Hey, my wife, can you close the door to the kitchen? This is uh, the beauty of recording a podcast when you don't have the ability to pause it. Because right now, I don't. (laughs) So we're just going to roll with it. There we go. Thanks, wife. So just like with all these other bills, right? They shoehorn in all this garbage. And this one is, is one and the same. And then they will decry anybody who dares to speak out against it. Just like with the veterans bill with these fire, you know, these burn pits bills where all this other shit shoehorned into it. They will pick one topic and say, how can you vote against this when the American population is suffering? This one, 
they thought they would be clever to call it the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, upon further review, it does not reduce inflation whatsoever. In fact, it probably is going to exacerbate inflation, not only because of the money we're spending, but because the offsetting measures, right? It's supposed to save $300 billion. It's supposed to lower the costs of different goods like pharmaceuticals and energy costs. It will not do either of those. It will not do any of this, period. It just won't. Actually, I'm going to bring up, hold on, I email myself, the Democrats' own the Democrats own sheet breaking down exactly what this is, but also, you know, in regards to just what this bill has in it. So it's a lot of climate nonsense. <coughs> it's a lot of Medicare boostering, affordable care act boostering. Cause of course the affordable care act is not affordable to anybody, but the government based upon taxpayers. And it has a nice little benefit built in for the government in that they will be hiring some 87,000 new government attack dogs, AKA IRS agents. Oh, here we go. Here's the bill. So this is what the government, this is what the Democrats list, and I'll run through it. So they say that this will make a historic down payment on deficit reduction to fight inflation. Number one, deficit reduction to fight inflation is not the problem right now, especially when pro, pro, you know, forecasted $300 billion over the next 10 years, when we've spent something like $7 trillion in the past three years, Right. $300 billion is not going to do shit against that. The problem is that you dropped a boatload of money into the supply, sent it out, and then incentivized people not to work. That's the problem. And you shut down supply chains at the same time. So you shut down supply chains, incentivized people not to have to go back to work for the supply chains, fucked up international trade, made border crossings more difficult, and dumped boatloads of money into the system, creating massive inflation. That's the problem. Nothing in this bill will address that. And none of it does. And that's what every single study into this bill has found. It will have a net zero impact. But they're saying that the $300 billion that they built into it based upon more revenue collection because of quote unquote closing loopholes, that's going to get it done. So what's in it? Well, they say that they're going to be uh, raising total revenue by $739 billion. How are they going to do this? A 15% corporate minimum tax. That's going to raise $313 billion. That's not going to happen. Number one, when you introduce this, half these companies, corporations are going to flee elsewhere, right? They're going to find ways to avoid paying that 15% corporate minimum tax. Number two, they're going to find more creative ways to account to lower the amount that they'll be taxed because that was the beauty before, right? You could offset your losses to avoid having a tax rate. The entire idea behind not having a set minimum mandatory tax is that you can offset it by investing. Now they're making a big hoopla about oil companies and everything else, not, you know, making these, these massive profits. And then, you know, how can they be making massive profits when we, when we have gas prices spiraling? Well, it's because they're not reinvesting that money. Now, the problem here with corporate taxes is that they know they have to pay X percent, then they might not make that investment into further and future technologies, into hiring, into what, you know, whatever it might be in their corporate structure. So this is not a good thing. No corporate taxes that are mandatory, in my opinion, are a good thing, but they say it'll raise $313 billion. Prescription drug pricing reform, $288 billion. I don't know how this is going to raise revenue. In truth, this is the one I don't really, I haven't really read much into it. I don't see how forcing drug companies to lower prices raises revenue for the government in any way. Uh, it, 
it's lost on me. I don't get it. Uh, maybe I'll circle back to this for another episode. This, this legislation is a little too new and I haven't had time to read on it all of it. Uh, IRS tax enforcement, 124 billion. So this is one of the real sticking points. 87,000 new IRS agents is what they have estimated has to be hired to go after the quote unquote billionaires in the country to pay their fair share, right? The millionaires, the billionaires and the billionaires. Oh, by the way, hilariously, Bernie Sanders also criticized this bill saying that it didn't do anything to to hamper inflation. Bernie Sanders. (laughs) But I digress. 87,000 people to go after. There's a thousand billionaires. I'm not sure exactly how many millionaires. So they have 87,000. So that's eight and a half thousand, or sorry, eight and eight, eight and a half people, eight and a half agents per billionaire, right? Uh, to go after, no, actually, no, my, my math's wrong. 80, 87 agents to go after each billionaire. And let me tell you, just like the corporations, the billionaires have ways of avoiding paying these taxes. The billionaires have very creative accounting measures. Now, maybe the IRS could come in and try to weed that out, right? That's what they say they're going to do. But guess what? Unless you're going to audit every single billionaire every single year, which is possible, I guess, but not probable. Well, you're going to have a tough time getting to those funds, right? And even if you do expose these billionaires and find out what funds they owe, again, good luck getting to those funds. They will find ways to hide the funds, they will find ways to put them in offshore accounts. They'll find ways to keep their, their currency abroad where you can't get at it, or they'll diversify. They'll re, you know, they'll relocate their, their holdings. They'll relocate their physical location. They'll relocate their corporate offices, whatever it might be. They're going to find ways around it. They're not going to sit there and get fucked in the ass by you trying to come after them. They will evade or they will find holes in which to still get through. So these 87,000, you know, IRS agents that have been freshly hired, they're going to have a different mandate. What do you think that mandate's going to be? Because you're going to have 87,000 hungry dogs that are the, you know, I remember uh, different people taking different takes on them. I called them the attack dogs. Um, I think uh, Tho Bishop called them the imperial guard for the empire, right? But these are basically the enforcers. These are the people that they want to go out. They want to scare the population. They want to collect their money. And guess what, guys? Of all the people that are audited, guess who gets audited the most? The poor. Why? Because number one, the poor can't pay people can't pay people to do their taxes, right? Like I pay an accountant to do my taxes. Why do I pay an accountant? Because it's a pain in my ass, and I don't want to make some dumb fuck error that gets me audited. That's why I can afford to do it. it Cost me five hundred bucks. Poor people typically can't pay that five hundred bucks to get audited. Can't uh, you know pay an accountant to go through and dot all the eyes and find out the loopholes and put it all together and make sure that everybody they're declaring as a dependence offset and all the uh, money that they've been sent by the government, all the different subsidies and welfares and all you know bailouts and child checks and all the other shit that they're given evens out at the end of the day. So typically, I think the people that get audited the most make something between like twenty five and fifty thousand a year. All right, those are the people that get audited by far. So. Are all these new agents not going to pay attention to those people? Or do you think that once they figure out they're not going to get the big dogs, they're going to go go kill the white whale, do you think they're going to turn those teeth on the rest of us and try to go after every little thing that we make and try to audit everybody to get that fucking money and take that pound of flesh? Now, let's not forget the Biden administration also had pushed forward this idiotic concept that any transaction over $600 got automatically flagged and you had to be investigated and, you know, the banks had to report that. 
So you add those two together, and what do you get? Pretty clear picture of what's going on. But again, Democrats, hooray! Hooray! Oh, I forgot, Jeffrey A. Tucker. That's what I was, I was meaning to do. So Jeffrey A. Tucker, yeah. Talking about how these Democrats are cheering, and, and basically, it's like watching the people on Titanic cheering as the boat sinks. This legislation is absolutely idiotic at the worst possible time, just like this Trump raid. Idiotic at the worst possible time. Completely undermines credibility. Completely obvious. It passed on party lines through the Senate with Kamala Harris. You know, she's the deciding vote. So it's very clear who pushed this piece of shit out into the world, grunting and moaning. You can picture that, Kamala Harris on the toilet plopping this bill down. How's the bill? <laughs> we need to make a cartoon. You know, like the old cartoon of how a bill becomes a law <laughs> with the Constitution? I'm a bankruptcy bill. I'm a boogity bill. And then it just cuts to Kamala Harris going, in the bathroom and pushing this bill out of her fucking puckered asshole. That's the content I need to say. Ah, oh, and then there, yeah, some bullshit. A fourteen billion out of carried interest loopholes into the thing. Now, where is the investments? Because of course, you know they can't just they can't just raise money to pay down the massive crushing deficit uh, that we have here or the federal budget. No, no, they've got to reinvest it. So four hundred thirty-three billion are getting reinvested into energy security and climate change. Well, actually, three hundred sixty-nine billion into energy security and climate change. What does that mean, guys? Energy security, shit, does that mean that they're going to put in a, a vastly better grid? Does that mean that they're going to reinvest in fossil fuels, the number one most efficient, uh, number one best battery life, a.k.a. you can store it and use it when your grid fails, uh, a.k.a. the cheapest, most efficient fuel for people to get around during inflationary period where gas is skyrocketing? No, none of that. What it means is that they're going to subsidize people that buy used cars and especially poor people. If you poor people want to buy a used EV car, which, by the way, is going to have a shelf life of about three years before the battery dies and then you can't replace it because they cost about fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to replace the battery in an EV car. Well, good news. We're going to pay for that. Right. I'm sorry. The new revenue raised from these imaginary IRS expenditures or IRS uh, <laughs> accounting measures, that's what's going to offset these new expenditures. Right. Because I'm sure that'll happen. It always works out that whenever the government offsets something, it never goes bad. So predominantly, they're funding subsidies for people to buy electric vehicles and Guess what? Subsidies for electric vehicles that don't exist yet. Basically, they're saying that you have to buy. Now, they mandated this. Electric car manufacturers have to buy, I believe, 20, 2024, 2030. I can't remember which one because I just perused this legislation a minute ago. So pardon me for not knowing exactly. But they're mandating that these manufacturers have to source all of their battery materials from the United States manufacturers or from an allied manufacturer. Because right now, 80% of the batteries in the world for EV vehicles, the lithium-ion batteries are made in China. Why? Because China has all the minerals we need, the rare earth minerals, which is why, guys, probably a good idea to put some money into a domestic stock for a battery company or in one of our allied countries. Because if this actually happens then they're going to force these people to outload all of their battery buying from these other nations that are not China. Now, how does this help inflation? How does this help the domestic person here? It doesn't. 
it's going to make everything more expensive because every domestically created EV car is now going to have to pay twice as much for their batteries. Because guess what? Supply and demand. China has the supply. There is a demand. If we cut China and it's 80% of the battery market out of the loop and it's rare earth minerals, which are predominantly found in China, well, guess what? We have a fucking huge supply crunch. Right now, we don't have a lot of countries out there that can that can mine rare earth minerals. So what are those rare earth minerals going to cost? Astronomical amounts. What's your battery going to cost? Astronomical amounts. What's your EV vehicle going to cost? Astronomical amounts. But don't worry, because the very same astronomical amount that it's going to cost, or that price increase, right, on top of an already expensive vehicle, because the average EV is what? 25, 30,000 for a shitty one. Well, guess what, guys? The government is going to subsidize for like $5,000 your purchase of that vehicle. Now, if they'd done nothing at all and let us buy batteries from China, probably the prices would continue to drop because the global community would also be looking to create more batteries, more batteries from China, more batteries from everywhere else. Great. The price of batteries goes down, which is the most expensive component in these EV deals. But guess what? Since they're not, now the 5,000 is going to be added on to the price of your car. And that's what they're subsidizing. So guess what the gain is? Fuck all nothing. Nothing except to subsidize price increases for battery manufacturers abroad in the United States. Great job, government. Way to help out the population. Bunch of this other crap. Again, it wasted money subsidizing domestic energy producers, just like Obama. Remember Obama where you, you know, all those, oh, the solar panels, this is the future. And then it's just, you know, giving out money, cronyism. That's the other half of the bill, essentially. Um, I can't find one thing in this bill that effectively changes climate. They're going to give money to poor people to, uh, I don't know, buy air conditioners. They're going to buy, give people uh, money to help retrofit some buildings. Cool. I mean, <laughs> none of this shit's going to do anything. But let's make sure to spend, you know, half a billion dollars on it. And then, of course, $64 billion for the Affordable Care Act extension and subsidizing people's medical costs, Medicaid, Medicare, blah, 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 blah. It's a Democratic grab bag of bullshit is what it is. It's higher taxes and higher taxes on everybody because guaranteed, like I said, IRS is coming after you. It is climate change nonsense and it is subsidizing welfare states. That's what the bill is. None of it tackles inflation whatsoever. And you'll notice they also par- you know, they, they pivoted away from the name of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act because everybody has said this is nonsense to, oh, well, it's a climate change reduction act, which again, shows you how in the bag mainstream media is for the democratic machine. That across the board, it happened in one day, across the board, every single news outlet reported it in the exact same way, which is that this is not the Inflation Reduction Act. This is a climate change bill. An embarrassment of riches for the dumbest among us. All right, guys, that's going to pretty much do it for this show. I don't have much more to say about this. Oh, you know, one more thing. I did want to talk about this. Alex Jones. I mean, good God, Alex Jones, $45 million is what he's been ordered to pay the Sandy Hook people. Now, I guess there's a precedent set for this, right? When you talk about what happened with Nick Sandman and uh, the media going after him and saying that he was an evil kid and all that stuff and defamation. All right. I mean, I guess I can see the emotional trauma created by Alex Jones saying that Sandy Hook was a, a staged event. But man, 45 million bucks 
to these families seems like an awful lot of money, awful lot of money, considering the fact that they're already getting paid out by, you know, other institutions, other state institutions for failures across the board. Not to say it isn't horrible what happened. Obviously, losing a kid is a, is something that is unbelievably difficult and, and dealing with that loss, dealing with that suffering while somebody is saying that this was a staged event and it didn't happen. I get it, but I still think that it's obscene because basically it's not as though Alex Jones had definitive proof otherwise. It's not like Alex Jones edited. Like with the Sandman case, there was a full video showing everything that went down with Sandman, showing that he was not the aggressor, that, you know, that asshole activist was, that he did nothing that would should warrant such an unbelievable <coughs> attack from the mainstream press and this labeling of him as a white, you know, white supremacist, Native American hating boy, you know, the, the face of white supremacy, a face that should be punched, according to, what was it, Zachariah to CNN. Jones was simply saying his opinion. And there is a very dangerous precedent set when you allow people to start suing someone over a stated opinion that they then recanted and said, I was wrong, right? No, I know damage done the moment. And I'm not discounting that these people may have been harassed by his followers and supporters, but it still is a very dangerous precedent to say, if you are wrong on something, you can never float in a concept that isn't the mainstream narrative. And by the way, Where's all the lawsuits for all these other mainstream narratives that have been gotten wrong by the mainstream press, right? You don't see anything about it. Don't see anything about that. Not a peep. But Alex Jones, he's the guy that gets singled out. Like I said, it's a worrying precedent that if you decide to go against the mainstream narrative as wrong as they are almost every time and you are wrong, then somebody can sue you and you can end up losing everything you own. That's pretty scary. All right, that's it, guys. That's going to wrap up Mean Age Daydream. Again, go subscribe to the solo feed if you'd be so kind. Share the show. Tell a friend. That's the best way. You know, Retweet us. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brian McWilliams. Uh, you can follow at Lions of Liberty. Of course, got three shows here. Check them all out Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And if you'd be so kind, write us up a nice review. I really, really could use some reviews for Mean Age Daydream solo feed as I try to get that up and running, guys. So go write me a five-star on Apple or you know, whatever, Podbean, whatever you're, you're listening on. I don't know, Spotify, I think we're on there. Go write me up a nice review. Apple really helps a lot. And of course, go and subscribe to the boring B-O-H-R-I-N-G podcast, our comedy podcast, if you want some uh, lighter fare. All right, that's it from me. Brian McWilliams from Mean Age Daydream and from the Lions of Liberty Network. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe. Keep that ray gun to my head.